Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Rachel Booth Smith on seeking God's comfort in the midst of troubled times. But God never does that. He never says, you know, what you're talking about is no big deal. I don't know why you're so afraid. And so I think voicing it, voicing the troubled nature of it is biblically appropriate, absolutely. And when we are able to um, seek God's comfort without undermining our ish, our pain, our troubledness, our frustrations, then we actually get to experience the miracle of the comfort. Rachel Booth Smith, next. Coming up, a touching conversation of a daughter with a big question while fighting cancer and finding rest in God. Rachel Booth Smith writes, teaches, and produces Bible study tools, and Kimberly Birchall is speaking with her about her Christianity Today piece, If Troubled, Look for God's Comfort. If Restless, Look for His Lordship. Rachel, it all began with a song on the radio and a question from your six-year-old daughter in the back seat. Can you take us back to that moment and tell us what happened? Yeah, my uh, daughter and I were driving home from a chemo appointment, and we loved to listen to Audrey Asad and Sarah Groves, and they had both come out with albums. And um, Audrey Asad had an album about one of the songs was called Restless, and it was actually based off an Augustine quote. And the chorus says, I'm restless until I rest in you. So, you know, she and I are singing and humming along. And she said, you know, mom, is it is it a sin to feel restless? And the the question really struck me as as we were driving, because I thought, I, I, I don't know, like, that, that's a great question. Uh, and in that minute, in that moment, I realized she was just struggling and she didn't feel good. And she probably felt, you know, not at peace anyway. And so what she really wanted to know was, is it okay that I don't feel like, feel very good right now? And so to a six-year-old, you know, I said, said, honey, you know, God knows this is a hard season. It's okay. You know, don't worry about that. We're, we're all right. But the question did bother me for quite a while. Like, as, as I started to, you know, ruminate over it theologically, like, what, what is that? You know, what was Augustine referencing? And, and what does it mean to feel restless? And is that a sin? And uh, so that that question kind of tickled the back of my mind for a long time after her um, seemingly innocent question that was, was um, deceptively simple. <laughs> it was, it was not so simple. Now, before we move on, uh, give us an update on your family. How is she doing yeah. today? And just how is your family doing? Because it's been several years, right? Yeah, that was in um, the winter of 2010. Um, and so it's been 12 years since then. And she's doing great. The cancer that uh, Clara had was actually just a kidney cancer. And it's a cancer that is particular only to children. It's called a Wilms tumor. And it's only children usually under age six that get it on their kidneys. And um, it travels to lungs. And uh, hers was really only on one kidney, but it had ruptured. So she had stage three cancer. Mm. And 
I was, it was quite the crazy traumatic journey, but we, you know, we got to the other side of it. It's, it's a pretty treatable cancer, um, but the treatments are pretty hard. So she is great. She's a college freshman. She'll be at uh, St. Olaf in Minnesota this um, coming semester, uh, spring semester of her freshman year. And she's doing really well. And the rest of us are as, as well. Claire is my middle child and we had three kids in three years. So when this trauma happened to my middle child, she was six and I had a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. So we had five, six, seven all in a row. And so they've always traveled as a pack. And so I, I kind of feel like we experienced cancer as a as a pack as well. Clara, obviously the most, but it has a pretty big impact when your siblings are that close in age as well. But everyone's doing really well. And thanks for asking. Mm, praise God. Okay, the mm-hmm. title of your article in Christianity today is If Troubled, mm-hmm. Look for God's Comfort. If Restless, Look for His Lordship. How can we tell if we're troubled or if we're restless? Yeah, so this question kind of took me on a little bit of a theological journey, and I started to go into my Master's of Divinity. And in those studies, I encountered God resting on the seventh day. And so I started looking into what does it mean when God rested, and what does it mean for us to have rest? And the answer really surprised me, and that really impacted how I answered that question. But when God rested, it wasn't, uh, you know, putting his feet up and taking a nap on the seventh day, as I have honestly always thought it was. Um, When God rested, he was actually sitting down as an enthronement. So he was sitting down to reign. Uh, A little bit like when, if you've ever watched the Star Trek movies and the captain sits down and he says, engage, or when you get a job all set up and you sit down on that first day and you've you know, you've filled out all your forms and, you know, you're ready to go. Like it's the launch time, really. It's um, when God rested, he said, look, everything's set up just the way I want it to. This is great. I'm done. And um, the sun didn't ever set on that seventh day. So God sits on his throne still. That rain lasts. And so when we're asked, you know, when God says, you know, remember the Sabbath, what we're doing is we're honoring God's reign. So we don't take a nap to mimic God, right? We take a nap because we know that God has it under control. We we cease our striving to recognize God's lordship. And so to, to go kind of on, on the different side of that, so what does it mean if I'm restless? So if I'm rested, I'm acknowledging God's lordship in in something i'm acknowledging his reign but if i'm restless i'm actively fighting against his reign Mm -hmm. just according to this theology Mm -hmm. our our words are are not this cut and dry so um i i don't mean to redefine restless but just in the terms of uh, biblical rest in creation narrative to be restless is to be like eve uh, and adam and to say no look i want to determine what is right and wrong. I do not care for the way you have set this up, God. So I'm going to grab that fruit and I'm going to say, look, you don't have this right. I think I need to take control and be Lord of all of this. And in the same way, sometimes when we forget to take a Sabbath or we insist on working ourselves, we think it's because we are in charge of provision, not that God set it up so that provision would be laid out for us. 
So that is how I would define restless now. And the distinction I would love to have given my daughter, or maybe it would have been too much for her then. Now she and I talk about this, but I, I would have told her she was troubled in the car on that day when we were riding. I would have said, look, when we look around and when we experience this fallen world, that is actively moving against God's lordship, it is fair for us to be troubled by that. It is okay for us to say, yeah, you know what? This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is, things are not the way God set up into motion. Like things have been broken. Relationships have been broken. Working the earth, that's broken. Childbirth, giving, you know, giving birth to new things, that's broken. It's all broken. And it's okay for us alongside God to look at them and say, yeah, I'm, I'm sad about this. I'm troubled by this. This just hurts my heart. And to grieve alongside God for the things that have happened in this world. And so that's how I would, you know, that's what the essay kind of goes through is, is working through those distinctions theologically. And, and also, you know, when you're in the middle of a battle, that's super hard. Like, childhood cancer um there's little things and there's big things but they're all things you know like they are all hard right um and that leads me into my next question which is you say Mm -hmm. a restless heart can plague any situation Mm -hmm. um, even those far less extreme than childhood cancer so give us some examples of when we might go oh you know what that's my restless heart in there. And I need to trust in Jesus for this one. You know, I have learned personally that my flag is to look for the thing that makes me panic. And that is usually something that is a flag that's waving over something that I have taken control of and I'm afraid about. So sometimes, like I've learned about myself, like politically, that can be an issue. If one candidate wins over another and I hit the panic button, uh-oh, right? Like that that to me signals that I feel like I'm in charge. I feel like God is not on the throne and I need to do something about this. And so that panic is usually my signal that I have elevated myself to a throne, to a place of control that I do not belong. And that's usually my, my first my first indicator that I that I watch for on myself. So I can find that in health, in little things and small things, right? There's the the fear of something going wrong or with me or my family. Anything that I want to overly control, um, money is another one where that's easy to feel like the bank account is is too low or my savings are not enough. And it's okay to look at them and be like, okay, Lord, I've got some responsibility in this. What can I do? But the problem becomes when it's like, if I don't take care of this, it's over. Like I have full bearing weight and responsibility for this and nothing, nothing will go well if I don't take care of it. Uh, it's, it's the partnership with God. That's what you seek, not the control over every little thing as if it's mm. dependent on you. That's a good way to put it, the partnership with God instead of taking control. I know for me, at my age, I I look ahead and worry about if I'm going to end up in 
some care facility for mm-hmm. a long extended time or something. Yeah, then I have to rein that back in and go, okay, wait a minute. God's God's in control and mm-hmm. he's still there with me even if mm-hmm. if that is where I end up in my old age, right? He's still mm-hmm. right there with me. That hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to rest in him <laughs> instead yeah. of letting letting all of that restlessness uh, stir me up. I think it's time for a lesson from the teacher in you. But I also think you answered that, that biblical sense of that rest means he reigned. How can we remind ourselves of that? What can we do to remind ourselves of of what that really means? You know, I I really love I think I think the Bible draws attention to this by looking to nature. And look at the birds of the field, look at the lilies, you know, they are not worrying. They are taking care of, sometimes I wonder if squirrels are worrying the way they run around cats. But, you know, the the leaves know when to turn and, you know, the seasons know when to come. Like all of these things that God has set into motion that never fail to happen, I think are just sweet reminders of God's the way he reigns. And I feel like he put those into motion. And, you know, you'll notice that those, those were not impacted by the fall, right? Like it's only really the things that are in um, our domain that, that have been broken. And so God has just sweetly left all the stars right in the sky, right? Like they, they did not all fall and it became all dark, right? Like all of those things that are sad and not broken. I really, I look to those to remember when I feel out of control, like, or, or that things aren't going to be taken care of. And so the psalmists, they point to all of that as well. And that's, that's really been a good reminder for me. My grandmother used to say one day at a time, for just about everything. And that always helps me as well. I, I remember that when we, we ask her, how do you keep from getting bitter? How did you keep from worrying so much? How did you keep your marriage intact? You know, like mm-hmm. how did all of those things stay? And she just always brings it back to the each day has enough of its own. Just mm-hmm. one day at a time, choose it. Don't worry about tomorrow choose it again tomorrow, right? Like that's, that's what you get to choose tomorrow. So just worry about choosing it for this, you know, I don't know, 16 hours that you're up. Like that's, that's what you've got to get to. So good, good advice, grandma. I know she's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) You bring out in the article that the other cultures of the day, how their Mm -hmm. gods portray rest for themselves and how that's Mm -hmm different from our God. Talk about that to us for a little bit and and how unusual it really was. Yeah, I thank you for asking. I love to talk about this. So you might have to cut me off. (laughs) But I one of the things that was so fun was when we sat down to our Torah class, we read all these other creation narratives. And if you think about it, these are the stories that ancient cultures would tell around the campfire. So they'd sit down and, you know, they're, they're semi-pastoral nomads. They're wandering up and down the, you know, Mesopotamia and they're interacting with other cultures. And so what do they sit and talk about? They sit and tell stories. And so the stories they're each going to tell, you know, you're going to have 
each guy going around and telling their creation, their creation narrative, their story. It's a, it's actually an, an entire genre that mm-hmm. we don't really have anymore. So we kind of tend to throw it into our own genres, but it was, it was a genre for them to understand what do the gods care about? What's important? What is my role in, in this world? They're theological stories, not just stories about a god. And so everyone will go around and tell their stories. And a lot of the stories would have like depictions of violence or uh, sex for creation, or the gods were frustrated because they couldn't get enough done. So that's how they make humanity to, to get some things done. And they would say that humankind was put on earth in order to bring them food and to allow, you know, the God to have sustenance. And, and they felt like that was a worthy calling. And, um, and so they would all kind of tell their stories and it would get to the end of the story after a lot of times a big battle, the God would sit down and that was his, that was his rest and almost an enthronement. And then it's like, okay, we're good. We've got the sky done. You know, they would tell these these really cool stories about how the sky was made and um, different gods that did different things. And then, you know, you get to Joe Hebrew and and he just says, in the beginning, there, you know, there was nothing. It was formless and void. And he goes into it and he will have a lot of things that are very similar in the genre, right? Like all of them start with formless void kind of chaos, right? So it's like, they're like, oh yeah, okay. I know what you're doing. I know what you're telling. It's it's the same way we tell all our stories. But then he would do something. He would say something like, and then God said, let there be light. And they would be shocked at the campfire because all of their gods hid the words because they're magic and they're, they're magic formulas. Mm. And so all of their stories don't say the words. So what is it with this God that he's not afraid to share all of his words so that, you know, it, and our God says that God, Yahweh says that he's not afraid of his words because he is the power, not the words. And so every little thing about the creation story has something like that. Something that's very similar to how all of the other creation stories worked and lined up with them, but then something unique about Yahweh, where he's like, yeah, I don't care if you guys know the words, where he says, yeah, you guys don't need to feed me, where he says, yeah, I have the greater light and the lesser light, and he doesn't even name them. Why does he do that? So there's some really cool things about who God is within this creation story. And I I picked up on the rest part for the article for fun, but I, I love talking through all of those pieces as well. So it would have been a whole new way of thinking when God's people said, no, this is the way it happened. Yeah, it would have been like an uh, uh, wait a minute. Who is your God that does this? It was a it was a as a theological story. It would have struck them that Yahweh is a very different kind of God, that there is no other gods, and that Yahweh's determination for who man is and what God what humanity's purpose is all different. Those would have been the mic drop moments at mm. the campfire mm-hmm. of like, wow, that is a, that, and, you know, maybe they all said, well, that story was silly and I don't care for it. You know, it, who knows what right. the reaction was, right. but it was unique for its genre. 
for for telling about who Yahweh is. Okay. Yes, yes, very fun. I'm speaking with Rachel Booth Smith. Rachel is an author, speaker, and teacher who writes study materials. She's studying for her master's in divinity and has had articles published in Truly, Fathom, Christianity Today, and The Biblical Mind magazine. Rachel, thank you again for being here with us. How can we tap into the rest in this crazy world we live in with so many things from the news to the politics, like you mentioned, to a sick child pushing us over the edge? Yeah, I do think it's that one day at a time mentality that I was talking about with my grandmother and and looking around at the nature and seeing that God has all of these things under control. It's also just the, the reading and Uh, memorization, I feel like a lot of the Psalms, because the Psalms were allowed to, the psalmists were able to speak their pain. And it it never, um, you never see God saying, you know, (laughs) it's not that big a deal, you know, or what, you know, what is your problem? We, We can always find someone with the worst issue. I remember even being on the oncology floor and the, you know, the children's oncology floor. And I'd be like, oh, my kid has the easiest cancer of these cancers. You know, it's like you can always find someone who's going through something that's harder. But God never does that. He never says, you know, what you're talking about is no big deal. I don't know why you're so afraid. And so I think voicing it, voicing the troubled nature of it is biblically appropriate absolutely and when we are able to um, seek god's comfort without undermining our ish our pain our troubledness our frustrations then we actually get to experience the miracle of the comfort because if what i'm going through is no big deal then the comfort of that thing is also no big deal Mm -hmm. right so when i actually legitimately give voice to the way that is affecting me. I am, I'm opening myself up to the miracle of the comfort, the depth of the comfort that will hit me. It's not about how big the actual thing is. It's about how is it impacting your soul? And I love that the psalmists are all about that. They're like, yep, right now I feel, and they like give big worms, big words to it. You know, they're like, worms are eating my soul. (laughs) okay. <laughs> Worms weren't actually eating their souls, but that's how it felt, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think God invites us to, to say, yeah, absolutely, this is awful. And then to feel the miracle of that comfort. And then also, when we're practicing rest, like if I was going to say, you know, uh, there's a, there's a lot of books out there that say here's how to practice rest and this is why it's important and and they are very important things to instill a regular rhythm of rest but the reason we rest is to recognize his reign and so if i am resting just to give my body rest well that's a good thing um, but that's supposed to be a side effect not the goal I'm not resting to give my body a rest. I'm resting because God made my body and he says that he will carry and sustain me. And then I need to chill out and let him uh, do what he's uh, said he will do and, and rest in that promise of who he is. So the reasoning I feel like is actually really important for us to fully access 
the reason God asks us to rest is not just for us to get these side effects, but when we rest for the right reason and acknowledge God's reign over them, then the side effects happen. I want you to go back. You mentioned this, and and it kind of came up in in that answer right there, but um, you mentioned this early on in our talk, that day seven of the creation is the only day that doesn't end in the biblical account. I'd never thought about that before. (laughs) Um, Why is this significant? You know, it's because God is still reigning. Like it does, uh, he is still sitting on his throne and it is broken in these arenas that he's given us control over, but he is still, he's still resting on his throne. And so there's, there's no reason for us to see the world as thrown back into chaos. It's just that there's areas that are busted and the God who sits on the throne is also a God who restores And so we can remember all of that, you know, because the sun does not set on his reign. And so I kind of reference this in the article as, you know, we still live in day seven. It's foggy, (laughs) to paraphrase Paul. It's, It's a little foggy out there. You know, I do not see things clearly as I should because not, you know, not because my vision is bad, but because I live in a world that has a fog over it because of the brokenness of sin. And because of the nature of this, before it's restored fully, it's just going to be a foggy day seven. But it's still day seven, right? Like God is still reigning. He is still in charge. Um, He has not been thwarted. We are not living in chaos. So if rest, if biblical rest, as you say, allows our troubled hearts to propel us on behalf of God's kingdom, even when our hands aren't steady and our tears overflow, you say, how do we get to ourselves to that sacred place? Where we're resting? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's really a terrible answer. I, I think it's hard. I do. I mean, I think we can put these practices into place. I think we can remember things, but it is going to be the inclination of our hearts to reach for the fruit. We are going to want to um, give our restlessness a voice that it shouldn't have. That's um, a good way and of this, putting it. Mm-hmm. This will be a fight until um, until everything's fully restored. And I think that actually is just stage one of discipleship is always knowing, look, this is what we reach for. This is our inclination of our hearts is to say, no, look, I want control. I want to determine what's right and wrong. I want to undermine the reign that God has. And so when we take all those things and just continue to remember that, okay, this is where I'm inclined. This is who God is. And I'm going to have to every day match these up and decide, do I let him reign over this or do I reach for the fruit and then experience the consequences that come with that? Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. then I do both probably every day. It's just part of our daily struggle. And I think when you get to these traumatic events, like us with childhood cancer and everyone has their, their trauma, it actually just kind of brings it into a, a starker light. It kind of puts it into this like decision you really have to make in a big moment and everything else shrinks away and it becomes this, you know, this thing you really have to face down. But if in the every day they get muddled into a lot of little choices. And so I think it's actually kind of easier to see in the big choices, but in the little choices, 
um, we have those as well every day when we're deciding, no, I'm going to just decide what to do. I am not going to obey God's command on there. And it's, it's not that simple, but like when you see, when you see someone hurting, you know, and you're tired and you're busy, <laughs> you know, like, do you say, God, you reign, you told me that that's where your heart is. And that's where I need to stop and spend my time and know that you will make up the rest of it. Or do you just like move on? So every, every little decision kind of comes back to this, this idea of just God in charge or am I in charge? And we can, we can live both ways just fine. It, it will eventually catch up to you. But yeah, learning to eventually see all the little ways and to put them under God's reign, that's hard, right? That's the whole, that's the whole ballgame. <laughs> that's, that's discipleship in a really hard nutshell. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, writer and Bible study teacher Rachel Booth Smith. To read her Christianity Today piece, If Troubled, Look for God's Comfort. If Restless, Look for His Lordship. Go to ChristianityToday.com. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Sita Lay on surviving, as a child, the horrific communist takeover of Cambodia and how she learned of Christianity. One night, I heard the um, the choir singing this, you know, very quiet night, and you can see the echo through the mountain. This choir sing um, sing this song. Actually, this song is um, Amazing Grace. That's tomorrow at this same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.